0: To the Freedom Pact. Okay, my guest today, I am joined by author Ryan Holiday. Uh, his most recent book, Courage is Calling, is out now. And that is exactly what we're here to talk about today. Ryan Holiday, welcome to the Freedom Pact podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, Ryan, you've been probably our most requested guest ever since 2019 when we first had Robert Greene on the show. Um, he brought a lot of his followers over and they all started asking for Mr. Ryan holiday. So it's was uh, good to finally make that happen. Well, that's very cool to hear. I'm honored. So before we dive into the new book, I'd love to ask you, I keep seeing her on Instagram. You've opened up an independent bookshop called the painted porch bookshop. A lot of people may think, well, he's a multiple time New York's best seller North. He doesn't have to open an independent bookshop. Why did you do it? Um,
1: uh... No, I'm crazy, I guess. I, I don't know. It, it was something my wife uh, my wife suggested it and I kind of fell in love with the idea. Um, you know, so much of what I do is digital, right? My podcast, it's awesome to reach millions of people all over the world, right? Um, it's cool to do this o- over Zoom. Um, but, but even you know as an author, even though what I love are physical books, something like 60% of my sales are in the digital format now, whether it's uh, eBooks or audiobooks. So uh, as, as much as I appreciate the scale of all of that stuff um, there is something special about things that are physical and about doing things, you know, like in the real world. And I think, so part of it was just a reaction against this kind of increasing sort of globalization of everything just wanted to do something really small really close to home I live right down the street um it's a it's great to have like a physical place and it's it's really cool to bring books uh which I love so much to to people and and to to have a space to support you know the authors that I I love the most so what have you
0: learned since opening the shop about you know is there any lessons you've picked up is there anything you've learned about yourself
1: Well, there's a great uh, rule. I think it's Gresham's law. I forget exactly what it is, but it's that it always takes longer than you expect, Mm -hmm. right? Anything, whatever it is, always takes longer than you thought. Now we started thinking about doing the bookstore in the fall of 2019. We purchased the place in January of 2020 and it didn't sell its first book to a customer in person until... Almost February of 2021. So it took way longer than I thought. It cost way more than I thought. It was way harder than I thought. Not just because uh, any small business is a is a is a difficult proposition, but but because you know a global pandemic came and blew the whole world up. So um, it was just really humbling to, you know, again, like if I sit down, I want to write a book. I, I mean, I wrote two books during the pandemic. So like i can sit down and write that's totally in my control there's not that much stuff that can get in the way of me doing that um it was i enjoyed the challenge and i grew from the challenge certainly of like doing a really hard thing that the vast majority of it i had to just accept and adjust to and make the most of um that was that was that was certainly a big part of it
0: well as i mentioned at the top there um, we've had uh, robert green on the show twice almost three uh, maybe coming back for a third time now and on the first podcast he he gave a, a story about when you first came to him a, as a as an apprentice and saw him out and how he took you under his wing what did you learn from your experience when you first you know met robert green and and, and how did that come about I mean,
1: I learned everything. I mean, he showed me literally everything, how to write a book, how to think about books, how to research books, how to market books, how to interact with a publisher. I mean, like he showed me. And so when I say I was like his apprentice, I don't mean it in like, oh, I was his intern for a few months. Like he fundamentally taught me from beginning to end how the entire process works. Um, And there really wasn't a single better person to have learned it from. Because I think not only is he... Uh, not only do I really like his books and, and that's the kind of books I want to do, I think as far as this space, like the sort of nonfiction uh, uh, advice kind of uh, books. I mean, I think he's the, the best to have ever done it. Like, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's the goat. And, and so, um, you know, I learned all of that from him. And it was it was kind of a random thing. Uh, I was working for someone else who knew Robert and uh, we met at a lunch. And Robert was looking for a research assistant, and obviously that was like the job or, or opportunity of a lifetime for me, which I very much jumped on. Um, but you know, I was just in LA a few weeks back, and I, I got to—I uh, went out and saw Robert, who I hadn't seen, you know, for the entirety of the pandemic. And and uh, it just—it was funny as I was driving to go see him. It just sort of hit me how many times I had you know, driven from one side of Los Angeles to another to drop off a book or to drop off paperwork or drop off something he asked me to research. It just like, that was just a part of my life for like years and years was sort of like going to see the master and trying to, you know obviously do whatever he was asking me to do but also try to grab a few scraps of thing. You know, I would I would always just try to have like a question or one thing, like, you know, how does this work? I remember one time I was like, I, I was like, how does an index on a book work? Like, who makes that? Like, does the author have to do that? Like, just like, I just had so many questions about the whole process, because it was totally a mystery to me. And so, you know, when people ask me that, like, they want to get started in something, I really think you want to do something like that, where you demystify the process, you really figure out, like, how it works. Like, you know, like, let's say you wanted to start a company, like go like work at a VC or, or, or be at an early stage company where you under, you can watch it happen. And then you, then when it, when it's you, when you're in charge, you're not bumping into these things for the first time. It's the first time you've done that. Like you've got, had to make the call. It's still hard, but you're, you're not like stunned to be like, oh, this is how it works. Like you, you know, it's like, you've, you've, It's like a golfer has to walk the golf course a few times, you know, before uh, you, you you are familiar with the terrain and that's just like, cannot be more important.
0: Well, you've certainly gone out and put many books out since then. Um, You know, you, I think obstacles away is probably my most gifted book. I I tend to gift to friends on birthdays and Christmas and your newest book, Courage is Call. And I've got here based around the first of the four virtues, could you just run through those for us and, you know, give a brief outline of those for us?
1: Yeah, the the four virtues, uh, they're called the cardinal virtues, but they're they're the same virtues in Stoicism and Christianity and many other philosophical schools, but it's courage, temperance, or self-discipline, justice, and wisdom. And these are sort of four interconnected, interdependent virtues, uh, courage being, I think, in some ways, the most important, certainly the the the, the most important starting place. Uh, but I'm I'm seeing this very much as a as a as a, a series uh, of of books that have a lot of overlap with each other. Well, the Oxford Reference says
0: that an action is courageous if it is an attempt to achieve an end, uh, despite penalties, risks, cost, difficulties, sufficient, gravity. But how do you do, How do you? personally define it yeah
1: There's i mean anything. that i i would agree with that definition in large part i i sort of say in the book that courage is when you put your ass on the line um so figuratively or literally i guess when we're talking about courage as a virtue as opposed to uh courage as a noun um obviously the cause in which it is in pursuit of uh has a significant bearing so the stoics would say uh, courage is Uh, Risk in pursuit of virtue or in pursuit of the right. So um, there are people who risk themselves or put their ass on the line for things. um, But if you're completely wrong, or if it like this, and this is where the other virtues come into play, this is where wisdom comes into play, this is where justice comes into play. So, um, you know, courage in the courage, um, if pursued with stupidity, is obviously not courage. Courage in pursuit of injustice is also not courageous, right? And so um, the, the, the virtues sort of uh, balance each other out. Even the virtue of temperance is the idea of like, well, how much, right? When does courage, when does courage uh, uh, bleed out into recklessness or into stupidity itself? And so the, 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 the way these virtues relate to each other is a, is a important dimension that makes it not so, so simple. In the book, you mentioned that the sort of common school
0: of thought is that there are two kinds of courage: physical and moral. Why isn't that the case?
1: Well, that's what I mean when I say that courage is putting your ass on the line. Um, obviously, literally uh, going out there when you could get shot or burned up or or attacked. Um, this is what we would call physical courage. You know, the courage of a firefighter, the courage of a of a of a uh, of a fighter pilot, right? Uh, putting yourself out there in war or against the elements or in real sort of physical danger—that is an, obviously an essential element of courage. But there is also uh, what we call moral courage, which is when um, you know a scientist pursuing the unknown. So they're not traveling in the Arctic, but they are in uncharted scientific territory, or perhaps they're. They're advancing some idea that's very controversial that people uh, find offensive or, you know, think is is uh, is incorrect and they have to, you know, I don't know, mortgage their house or think of the the courage of an entrepreneur to leave a conventional life um, to bet on themselves. It's also the courage of a whistleblower or the courage of, you know, an activist, um, courage of an artist to transgress. Uh, certain boundaries, or to say what people are afraid to say. So these are all, you could say different kinds of courage. But to me, what they share where they overlap is that it's ultimately about risk in pursuit of something good or noble or uh, principle. Mm.
0: How big a factor do you think that fear plays in everyone's you know, maybe not achieving their dreams. Cause I think of this podcast, I wanted to start this when I was in university. So that's going back 2017. Maybe I wanted to start this maybe 2016. And I recorded a little episode in my dorm room in university and I put it out there. I woke up the next morning, somehow my flatmates, they, they found it. I was the butt of all the jokes. Everyone was sort of, you know, teasing me, trolling me. I ended up deleting everything. Um, You know, I I buried it, I hid away, I you know, I tried to disguise it the best I could. And I I didn't think of starting a podcast for, you know, at least another two years. And now I think if I just had the sort of courage at the time, I could be maybe two years ahead of where I am now. How big a, a factor do you think that plays in everyone's lives?
1: It's huge. I mean, the courage to start something new almost invariably means being bad at something, being different than other people being laughed at, being seen as strange. Um, there's a story I tell in the book about the, uh, the movie producer, Jerry Reintraub. Um, there's a great book about him called uh, uh, When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. And he tells this story, he, he went to acting school with James Caan, one of the great actors of all time, the godfather of a million other movies. Um, they were in acting school and they, as part of their acting school they were supposed to take a dance class. And so they, with, with actually the, the great dancer, uh, Martha Graham. And so they had to go down to this store in New York City and buy tights to, to, to be in the dance class. And they walk in and uh, they both grab the tights. They put them on. They walk out. They look at the mirror. And Jerry Weintraub's like, no, I will not do this. You know, like uh, there's he immediately takes him off. And James, James Conn's like, all right, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. James Conn goes on to be one of the great actors of all time. Jerry Weintraub. It becomes a very successful movie producer, but his dream of being an actor dies on the spot because he is unwilling to look silly in tights. And I very much empathize with that. I don't know if I would do it. That's not who I am. That's not what I like to do. But um, the decision to put a blog up, uh, which is a decision I made shortly after I left high school, You know, I had to write every day for free on a website for like seven years before I made a dollar from writing. And, you know, were there people? First off, I'm sure almost everything I wrote, I would now be mortified by. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was mortifying at the time. I was just deliberately uh, ignorant. I deliberately did not want to think about what other people were thinking about it because this thing was important to me. Uh, The Stoics say, like, you know, if you want to improve, you have to be content to be seen as foolish or stupid. And if you're not, if you're not willing to be in public, if you're not willing to be laughed at. Well, you're probably not going to succeed at whatever it is that you're doing, because you're never going to get over that hump and you're never going to get started.
0: Can you think of a time where courage or a lack of courage has played a significant part in your life? Yeah, I mean, a
1: million times, uh, a million times. But uh, when I when I conclude the book, I tell a story about a time when I was at at American Apparel, where I was sort of asked to do something unethical. Um, and, and I didn't, but I kind of didn't go all the way on it. I, you know, I, I feel like in retrospect, I faltered, like I just sort of let myself down. I didn't do everything that I could. And, and as I think about that, I find that most of the things that I'm embarrassed by or ashamed of or that I regret, it was rooted in some element of fear getting the best of me, right? That I just didn't push myself far enough. And, you know, I could have done better and I didn't.
0: Seneca said that sometimes even just to live is an act of courage. To yeah. what extent do you agree with that?
1: I mean, I I totally agree. Uh, You know, it'd be easy to uh, despair. It's easier to say everything's hopeless and shitty and it won't be improved. To have hope, to keep going, is an act of courage. And I think, I, I talk about this in the book that I'm writing now, but when people are sort of at those rock bottom moments, when life has completely kicked their ass and they keep going you know, they get, they dust themselves back off and they, and they try again. To me, that's like the most courageous, impressive thing that there is.
0: Obviously you wrote, you've written a lot about stoicism. You're sort of known as the person who's sort of brought that into the, the real mainstream in the, in the modern world. Just out of curiosity, when did stoicism first come into your life? When did you first discover it? When did you first read about it?
1: I was actually shortly before I met Robert. I was in college and and I got recommended the the writings of Marcus Aurelius. And it just, you know, it just it was everything that I wanted and needed and just sort of changed my life on the spot.
0: Mm. So how can reading more about the past have an effect on our present and future? Because I know you're someone who likes to read old books. You know, even in the pandemic, I saw you reflecting on these that were written years and years ago and sort
1: of relating them to the modern day? Well, I think, you know, obviously the past is how uh, you can predict the future. But I think one of the things I like about reading old books is that with the distance of time, our defenses are not up as much. Like nobody cares if a president 100 years ago was a Republican or a Democrat. Right, nobody cares if they were even a good person or a bad person. We care more about like, how did they do what they did, what worked, what didn't work, what were their mistakes, right? What were their vices as well as their virtues? So I think we we can study the past and and learn more from it because we're more open to it. Um, And also, you know, I think the longer something's been around that are you familiar with the Lindy effect? Do you know what that is? No, the the Lindy effect is basically the idea that the longer that something has been around, the like, the more likely it is to continue to be around to continue to be true. And so, you know, if you read some really good book, you know, that was published three years ago, we see this all the time now in, in, in psychology, right, they'll come up with some interesting experiment, they'll write some great book about it, it'll be a Subject of a popular TED talk, and then the, the experiment will be disproven like five years later, and you're just like, okay, so why did I even read that, right? But what I like about say stoicism is you got 2,500 years to to look at, right? 2,500 years of of being tested by by the elements, by human beings, by uh, the smartest minds in history, and so I do like to look further back, um, not just because I find that it's less charged but I also find it, it it stands the test of time better. So I
0: know you would have looked at countless examples. You've written count uh, countless examples, but when you're feeling like you need a bit of inspiration to be brave, what are some of your favorite acts of courage throughout history that you can draw on for inspiration? What what
1: what, what comes to mind first? Um, I mean, I, I was just going through this. I was sort of struggling reading and, and, uh, and I, um, I just went back and read some of my favorite novels. Like I was sort of in a reading funk. So I just, I was like, I'm just going to read some of my favorite novels. But usually I, I keep Marcus Aurelius by my bedstand, and And whenever I'm sort of struggling, I just like to dip in or dip out of the Stoics. Hmm.
0: So when we typically think of courage, the sort of image comes to mind of a, a hero that can't be beaten. Somebody who always overcomes the odds. Someone who's unbreakable. Someone who never falters. Why is this a, a false depiction of what courage truly is?
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, if if the person never falters, if they never stumble, if if their success is guaranteed, I mean, what kind of courage does that take? Right? Like it, it is. It's the fact that it's hard. That it is a struggle. That they fall short uh that 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 makes them worth admiring. you know that quote you said from Seneca that sometimes uh, even just to live is an act of courage. If life was easy, um you know if they if they weren't struggling valiantly against the odds, I'm not sure how impressive they would be.
0: I was watching a, a video on the the daily Stoic YouTube channel um about courage and it was a quote you said, uh, be scared. You can't help that, but don't be afraid. What's the difference between being scared and being afraid?
1: Yeah, that's a, a, a beautiful quote from Faulkner that I love. Um, I think it's kind of the difference between like being angry and holding a grudge or like, right. It's the idea of like, you can have the emotion, right. Be scared. You know, somebody jumps out from around the corner. You're going to, whoa, what was that? Right. But like, how you decide to proceed, right, is the, is the thing that matters. And so, you know, being scared of something as most of the biggest decisions I made in, I've made in my life were terrifying as I made them, right? So when we, when we think about courage, I think it's important to think that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is when we proceed despite said fear. And if there was no fear, again, then there's no risk. And then it's not courage.
0: Another thing um, that you drew on in that video, um, you said one of the things you realize when you do something big, something scary and and come out the other side is that maybe you didn't even need to be scared at all in the first place. I think that's a big realization. Whenever we're facing something, we we come out the other side and we think, what was I worrying about? Does that realization teach us back up the idea that just doing more things that scare us can teach us to be more courageous can just build up that skill almost.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, there's that piece of advice or it's a cliche now, but do one thing every day that scares you. Mm. It's not bad advice, right? Like uh, you want to build, it's like, you want to build this tolerance or this kind of habit of being able to, you know, be in control, right? Who's, who's, who's in control, the courage or the fear right and you you want to sort of build this ability just like with working out it's like nobody wants to work out in fact none we all want to do the opposite of workout right mm-hmm. but you cultivate this part of you that says i know i don't want to it's more comfortable here on the couch but i have built the muscle that allows me to override that sense pick my ass up and get in the car and go to the gym what was the last
0: sort of big thing you did that scared you that you can remember
1: i mean the bookstore was fucking terrifying uh <laughs> it was terrifying it was one of the biggest bets that i've made in my life right mm-hmm. um the decision to uh you know sort of go all in on this thing and it's really worked right like so far it's worked i mean i'm not like uh still a lot remains to be seen but it it to the the point about once you do it, you have some understanding. It's like not only should I maybe been a little less scared. It's like oh, I'm. I I know a little bit what I'm doing, right? That I I wasn't. I don't just have stupid ideas and indulge every single one, but that when I have an idea and I think it through and I look at the possibilities, that generally, I know what I'm doing and that I should trust that and. Once I've followed my process, once I've gotten the information that says, hey, I think this can work, um, I should be okay proceeding.
0: One thing that I don't personally have an experience with yet, but a page I do follow is the Daily Dad. Maybe I'm pre- preparing for the future. I don't know. I just wow, I okay. The, I follow the page. How scary is that? How scary is becoming a parent for the first
1: time? It's fucking terrifying. Um, It's terrifying for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's the like most unusual thing you've ever done. You're just like creating another human being. It's obviously much scarier for women uh, than for men in the sense that like, it's not literally coming out of my body. Um, But uh, I think the thing about it is like, most of the fear you feel in your life is about you right? I don't want something bad to happen to me. But then you have this person that is a version of you, or like you, you are almost more attached to than yourself. And then they're an idiot. Like, like your, your toddler doesn't know anything, right? Like, like you cherish, it's like, if you had like a really fancy glass bowl that you loved, but the glass bowl was jumping off the shelf all the time. You'd be like, this is horrible, right? Like, so the, I think the thing about kids is you love them so much, but they are like, they cannot be, not only not be left to their own devices, they are not safe, right? Like they, you're I heard a good expression that a kid is your heart outside of your body, but it's in the body of a child, like a reckless child. And so, it, it, you know, you, it forces you to face all these emotions, whether it's anxiety or, uh, you know, catastrophizing or, or, or any of that. Right. And you have to figure out how to keep this person safe without also sucking all the fun out of life. And I mean, um, my oldest is five, so I don't have that much experience with it. But, um, you know, then then something like a pandemic happens and you have to go. Well, what's okay? What's not okay? Right. What what's our what's my risk tolerance for me? But also now I have to be aware that my decisions have very real consequences for another person. Um, But then also, you know, any illusion of 100 percent safety comes at very real costs as well. And how do you make those, you know, those tradeoffs? It's it's uh, it's real hard.
0: And I guess a kid is a is a good example of, you know, courage and and resilience. I mean, if a toddler is trying to walk for the first time and it, it falls down, it doesn't just give up on the goal. It tries and tries and tries and tries again until eventually it can walk. And I think, you know, reflecting that and the example I gave earlier, I hit a roadblock when I tried to start a podcast. I gave up straight away. I didn't have that sort of toddler mentality.
1: Yeah, that, that's right. And and look, they are also really comfortable being bad at things. They ask a million questions. Uh, you know, they 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 have like no inhibitions, none of the shame or embarrassment or self-consciousness that holds us back. In the book, I talk about Florence Nightingale and there's this, you know, story of, uh, the stories of her as a young girl, she's sort of fearless and doesn't care what anyone thinks, Marches to the beat of her own drummer. But as she gets older, she starts to take on all of the, you know, all the biases and constraints and, you know, sort of gender roles that her society and her parents want to project on her. And so she ends up neglecting this calling that she has for years and years and years. Um, the the younger Florence Nightingale, the seven-year-old Florence Nightingale would have been like, what are you doing? What do you give a shit about what these people think, right? And so um, I think when we're younger, we have sort of uninhibited courage. As we get older, we balance that out with wisdom and perspective, which is good because you need both of them, but it's about finding the right balance of those things.
0: What advice would you give to someone then who maybe has a dream, they have a goal, they know what they do to, need to do together, but they just, like we've talked about, they're so scared of what other people think. They know they shouldn't be, but that doesn't stop them you know, being scared of it. They, they just can't make that first step walk. What would you say to that person to motivate them?
1: I say two things. So one, um, you're scared and everyone is scared, right? And the reason most people are not doing the thing that you're thinking about doing is because it is scary, mm-hmm. right? So if you can get past this, you have an advantage, right? It's like uh, most people are concerned about X. So they never, they never get past that thing but if you can get over that hurdle there's going to be a lot less competition than you think there is that, that's number one number two is i might think about like what is it that you're actually afraid of so i think a lot of the fears that we have to hold us back are very vague so like when i was thinking about dropping out of college actually to work for robert green you know i think it was scary but why was it so scary well what if it doesn't work out well what if it doesn't work out well i don't know You know, it'd be like, oh, I would just go back to school, right? Like, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? It felt like the worst thing in the world because it wasn't very well defined. But when it became more well defined, what seemed like a suicidal risk was, in fact, a pretty calculated high upside, low downside risk. It wasn't without risk. Um, I was giving up, let's say, a scholarship, but I was gonna to go to college before I got a scholarship. So it just gets me back to where I was a few years ago, um, not on as favorable terms, but nevertheless terms I would have been happy at with under ordinary circumstances, right? And so when we sort of sketch out the thing, it can kind of lose some of its power over us. Mm.
0: Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the author, Donald Robertson. Uh, He wrote a book called, to course, like a Roman emperor. Yeah. When I spoke to Robert, he was very passionate about this idea of, of um, tackling fear with just breaking the problem down and thinking about it logically in every way possible. He said that we're, we're scared because we, because we don't know. So the more we can understand, the more we know about the problem, the less scared we can be. So on that train of thought, what are some of the Stoic tactics, the Stoic practices to overcome in fear and, and boosting boost in that courage?
1: Well, the Stoics talk about putting every impression that we have to the test, and the idea that you have these emotions, you have these instincts, but they're kind of some of them are counterfeit, right? They look real, but they're not. And you know, it's like you know, you take a dollar, you put, you you try to pass a large bill, they check to see if it's counterfeit, or they they mark it with the pen or they hold it up to the light. Um, That's what you have to do with these fears. Some of the fears are, Oh yeah. The reason I don't want to jump off of this cliff into the river is that it's way too high. You know, like there could be very sharp rocks underneath and uh, I'm not sure a body is meant to fall this far and I am not a professional high diver and that this is just generally not a good idea. Mm. So you leave it to your drunker friends to jump off the cliff and you safely do not do it. But on the other stuff, you want to go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I made this podcast and then people are laughing at me about it, but is that so bad? Right. Like, is that, yeah, it doesn't feel great and it's kind of a shitty thing for friends to do to each other. But if I'm going to be successful at this thing, I want, I'm going to reach millions of people. Do I really care what these three people, you know, think, right. And so you, you sort of, you take it and you have to look at it from these different directions and and you realize that oftentimes your sort of, your initial your initial impression of it is not correct or it's not what you're going to stick with you know what i mean it's like you see someone and you're like oh i don't like that person and then you're like well what was that based on right it's like based on nothing and then you get to know them and you're like we're best friends right and and so you you have to push past those prejudices those impulses those uh those biases that our mind has like don't do that it's too scary or that's not right or people like us don't do things like that or you know whatever it is um you got to push through that because it's not usually based on anything real so the stoics say
0: that it's important to to not stay the same to not get stagnant complacent and I'm, I'm 25 now. I recently, you know, I thought it's time to move on. I, I I just bought my first house a week ago and I was moving in and, you know, I was talking to my friends about it, you know, about moving into my first home and everyone was saying, oh, I don't know how you do it." I'm, I'm so scared of change. They're saying, oh, it must be so scary. I don't deal well with change. And every conversation I had about this, you know, new exciting thing, it just seemed like everyone was just saying how how scary it was, how they wouldn't deal well with such a big change in their life. Why are we so scared or, or so uncomfortable with any sort of change in our lives, do you think?
1: Yeah, the Stoics talk about this. You know, all good things have come from a change. Do bad things also come from changes? Of course. But name one thing in your life that didn't come as a result of change, right? Like everything comes from change. So in fact, change is not really good or bad change. just is, it's just a fact of life and almost all of the things that were bad, right. In your life, bad in quotation marks, that you fought tooth and nail as they were happening, mm-hmm. you now have integrated into your life to a point where you're almost glad that they happened. Right. Yeah. Like I think about the, the, the painful incidences of my life. And I think about, I wouldn't be here if they hadn't happened. Right. And so we know that's where we're going to end up. And yet in the moment, we're convinced that we know that this is the one change that that's not true for. And we need to prevent from happening.
0: We talked earlier, we we mentioned about you reading old books and Obviously, we've just well, we're in the middle. We're going through this pandemic, and I, I referenced the fact that you you know you read books from from years gone by. You went back to Marcus. I know he went through a, his own pandemic. What did you take from you know Marcus's experience, and, and 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 did that help in any way in in your own way in dealing with the pandemic?
1: For sure. I mean, I think a big one was like the Antonine Plague lasted for like fifteen years, mm-hmm. so it's sort of like a buckle up. This is going to last a while, right? I think that was a big thing that I took out of it. Um, it'll be over eventually, but if you think it's going to be soon, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. I would rather buckle up, be ready for the long haul, and be pleasantly surprised that it was over sooner than the other way around. So that was a big lesson. The, probably the, the, the part that hit me the most from meditations, Mark Cirillo says, um, there's two kinds of plagues. He's like, there's one that destroys your life and then there's the one that destroys your character. And I've been very cognizant and aware of the ways in which people I know, people I like, people I admire have been made worse by the pandemic. I became less compassionate to other people, um, You know, more susceptible to misinformation and disinformation, um, more selfish. Uh, more ignorant about certain things, right? And I mean, I even notice this with my own, you know, chunks of my own audience. And you, you you interact with these people, and you go, "Oh, you caught something," and you can almost feel it when it happens, right? You'll be talking to someone you've known for a long time. Everything seems normal. You seem like you're all in agreement, and then they just they just sort of drop something. Like, but you know, what about and ah. Mm okay, so you got infected, huh? You know, um, it, and we see this with American politics right now as well. Um, it's like, you know, the, the, the word they use for being red pilled. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you'll watch someone who was otherwise a totally normal uh, upstanding member of society, just start kind of going down this rabbit hole and, and you just watch what it does. You watch how they get warped and it starts with one thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like a se- it's again, exactly like a virus, you know, first you get the one symptom, then you get the other symptom and now you, you got all of them. Right. And uh, you know, so that, that was a big thing that I took out of it. It's like, how do you emerge from this? Not like, I'd rather get COVID than that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'll probably survive COVID. I'm young. I'm in good health. Um, But, uh, you know, I have good medical care, etc. But like, I don't know how you come back from the conspiratorial rabbit hole. I haven't seen that happen much.
0: Well, I I know a lot of people personally who have uh, fallen down that rabbit hole, let say.
1: Yeah, it's look, it's really, it's particularly seems to be in the kind of health and wellness and self-improvement space. Mm. I think because you're really used to sort of doing your own research, as they say, which is true. I mean, you should do your own research in life, right? Um, you should question things, but you can also take from that a kind of a sense of superiority or a sense of like, Confirmation bias that makes you think that whatever you think is obviously right. And then you go find the information that validates that. And then, yeah, the next thing you know, you're like uh, taking horse pills and, uh, <laughs> you know, it go- gets worse from there.
0: I did chuckle at your um, little tombstone decoration in the bookshop. I did my own research. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, that's such a doing your own research is. Uh, an essential thing. And I think one of the tragic parts of what happens when people get sucked down these rabbit holes is they take really important ideas and they pervert them and they twist them, right? It's like uh, doing your own research is important, but you're not doing your own research, right? You're not conducting your own uh, triple blind, uh, you know, uh, academic study with thousands of participants. You're watching fucking YouTube videos, uh that they from quacks in god knows where you know anyways i'm going i'm, I'm getting i'm getting carried away but the, the point is you're you're taking a phrase and you're misusing it which is something i'll obviously later talk about in the wisdom book in the series but um yeah anyways that, that's where i am
0: for sure let's move to uh our- final uh, couple of questions that aren't uh, specific to any guest i ask every guest this okay. may be a maybe a difficult uh, question for you as so you're someone who reads more books and i think anybody someone who owns their own bookshop might be a, a tough one obviously you've written many books that have had a massive impact on people i know they've had a massive impact on my own life but what books have you read in your life that have had the biggest impact on you
1: well, obviously, Meditations from Marcus Trios is a huge one. Uh, all of Robert Greene's books, uh, and then if people haven't read his new one, uh, they definitely should. I think it's the best sort of entry point into Robert, uh, into Robert's works. Um, I'm trying to think what else I would say just sort of off the top of my head. Um, best books. Um Montaigne's essays. Uh, if people haven't read those, I do that. Stephen Pressfield's stuff, *The War of Art*. Um, I really like Doris Kearns Goodwin book uh, *Leadership*. Uh, Victor Frankel, obviously mm. amazing. Um, yeah, maybe
0: that—that's a good start. Love it. All right, so two more questions. The next one: If you were pitched a scenario in which every person on the planet right now was tuned into the same radio frequency someone handed you the mic they said ryan you can give one message every person on the planet's going to hear it what would ryan holiday's message to the world be
1: i don't i that's that's like an impossible question for Mm. a a writer to do because i mean i've so many different things i want to say for sure if i feel like i only had one i would that's just what the book i would have written right like i think when you're when you're writing a book you're trying to say like this is the thing i want people to hear but Mm. Obviously, I have more than one thing to say. I, I don't know. I'd probably pick some, some, something smart from someone else and, and just stick with that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. The last question I have for you today, the answer to this could be anything. It could be from your work. It could be your family. It could be your children. It could be whatever. But right now for Ryan Holiday, what makes life worth living?
1: Ooh, that's a good, uh, that's a really good question. Um, every morning I get up and I take my kids for like a long walk and it's my favorite thing to do. Um, we spend time together, we're outside, um, you know, when they get along, it's even better, but, uh, just being, being outside with my kids, you know, in the country is the best part of my day slash life. Amazing.
0: Beautiful. Well, we talked a lot, lot about it today. Courage is calling. So now I'll leave the link in the description below. Outside of that link, where can these guys find the book and find more about yourself, Ryan, if they're not already aware?
1: Yeah, you can go to RyanHoliday.net, and then you mentioned uh, Daily Stoic and Daily Dad. I do a, a free email about parenting and a free email about stoicism every day at DailyStoic.com and DailyDad.com. All
0: right. Amazing. I'll leave all that in the description below. Ryan, thank you so much for for joining me. It's been an absolute honor, my
1: friend. Appreciate it.